You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. What's the, the thought line again? 1-833-311-3232. Elliot, here we go. Welcome once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. And Elliot, contrary to popular opinion, there are actually good news stories happening all around us all the time. Case in point, Craig Anderson. I just wanted to shout him out to start off the podcast Craig Anderson, how many times has it looked like his career is over? Uh, most recently, this offseason was one of the last times. Well, basically, Buffalo found themselves with no goaltenders and said, we got to sign one and called him. Mm-hmm. And even this year, didn't we hear both hear rumors that his career was over with a neck injury? Yep, that that might be it. We may have seen the last of Craig Anderson. Wasn't on the ice, no news, away from the team. Neck injury. Not good. Octogenarian in his 40s. You're sitting here and you're saying, there's no way this guy's playing again. And how many times throughout his career has that happened? Several times. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back on a day where the Sabres get multiple positive COVID tests, get a scare. They don't know if they're even going to play. Basically, every other goalie that's in the organization is either injured or suspended. And what does he do? He goes out and pitches a shutout for 50-plus minutes, and they beat Arizona 3-1 to one on the road. Yeah. I have to say that when when you look at his overall career arc and how many times he's been completely written off and come back and also what his family went through when his wife was ill, I mean, he's he's had an amazing career, an amazing career. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to shout him out to start. Yeah, and yeah, really quietly because he doesn't get a lot of fanfare of this past era, like a really outstanding goaltender at every stop, right? But he just goes about his business quietly. Like he's almost like this reluctant type outstanding netminder. Here's my question about Craig Anderson, and I'm with you. I, it's impossible not to feel good for this guy. What does Buffalo do with him at trade deadline? First of all, he's going to be one of those guys where nothing's happening unless he wants it to happen. I believe that. It's kind of like Flurry. You know, one of the things that's going on right now is, is I think Washington is all over Flurry. They want him to join them. And I don't think that he's comfortable as a longtime Penguin doing it at this time. Now, will it change? I don't know. But they're going to try. But when Fleury was traded from Vegas to Chicago, one of the things he was promised was nothing's going to happen to him without his permission. Mm -hmm. And I would say that Anderson's probably on the same wavelength. Nothing's going to happen to him without his permission. But... Holy smokes, is he one competitive SOB? And I and I say that with the utmost respect. You always cheer for the great story, right? 
Wouldn't it be a great story if he goes to a team and helps them on a playoff run and helps them put a significant dent in the playoffs? Be fantastic. I just think that here's a guy that's, you know, clearly on the back nine, can probably see the clubhouse. I don't know. I just want to see one last great run from Craig Anderson. I'm just cheering for that great story. And we've always talked about cheering for players and not teams. I cheer for Craig Anderson. I'm with you. Another player that we all cheer for, and it's impossible not to, whether you're a Habs fan or not, even if you're a Boston Bruins, Toronto Maple Leafs fan, you know, mortal enemies of the Montreal Canadiens. This season specifically, impossible not to cheer for Carey Price. And Sunday evening, we heard from Carey Price uh, how he said he had no plans to go anywhere else, uh, wants to play this season, we'll know in the next few weeks. What did you make of the Price Press Conference? You never know how a media conference like that is going to go, right? Mm -hmm. Because the subject matter is significant. He took a mental health break and needed time away. He's coming back from an injury. So you never know if it's going to be serious, if there's going to be some levity. So I really didn't know what to expect, Jeff. It was pretty solemn. And the one thing, I don't want to jump to any conclusions. The number one thing that I thought was important was he said he's doing well mentally. That's the most important thing. That's what we all wanted to hear. But, you know, other than that, I thought it was a pretty solemn media conference. You know, there wasn't a lot of joking around. There there wasn't a lot of smiling. And, you know, it stood out to me that he wants to play, but he doesn't know if he's going to be able to play. And there's clearly some uncertainty there from him about what it means if he can't play. He's going to try again. He says he's going to know in the next couple of weeks if his knee allows him to play. But if the answer is no, what does that mean? And I think that uncertainty, I'm sure he doesn't really like it. So this isn't the last chapter in this, and I, and I think we all wish him the best. So what I take from it, number one, is he says he's doing well. That's important. Number two, he doesn't know if he's going to play. And that's also significant because I think that most athletes want to call their own shot. They want to go out on their terms. And, you know, being a competitor the way Carey Price is, I just got the impression watching that, that he wants one more try to go out on his term. And I certainly would understand that if I was in his shoes. You know, one of the things he was asked about as well, uh, the idea of maybe playing somewhere else. I mean, mm -hmm. that's been existing in Whispers for a while now as well. We all saw what happened, the expansion draft and how he could have gone to the Seattle Kraken. But I thought it was not interesting, I think sort of expected, I think, that he said he had no plans to go anywhere else. I haven't made any plans to do so. Um, you know, me and my family are very happy here. We're settled in. Um, you know, this is our home. You know, there's a, there's a reason I signed the uh, contract like I did here with a no movement clause was to be here. So as of right now, I have no plans to move anywhere. Do you have a thought on that comment? I thought it was really good of him to come out and take that emphatic a stance. Because if he does anything but that, that's the headline, right? The headline is not that he feels good. The headline is not that he's trying to make a comeback. The headline is he wouldn't commit. And to be honest, whether or not he wants to go anywhere else is completely irrelevant if he's not healthy enough to play. So I see it as one step at a time. And step one is getting back on the ice. I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying that 
that doesn't mean I don't believe them. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that there's really no point in even discussing what his future might be until we know his knee is healthy enough to get out there. And then we can cross that bridge if we need to come to it. His honest truth might be, I prefer to stay in Montreal. I want to be here. But there's no point in igniting any controversy until you know if that's even relevant. Okay, sticking with Montreal, Elliot, you know, we've talked a couple of different times on this program that um, we wondered if Ben Sherratt would be Kent Hughes's first move as general manager of the Montreal Canadiens. Do we add another name, and is that name Jeff Petrie? Well, first of all, I still do think Sherratt's the first move because he's unrestricted. I think that teams are really making their intentions known. Like, I think St. Louis is very much in there, and, and they're not the only ones. So my guess is Sherrod is still move number one. Now, I'm assuming you're talking about the other night, and we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Saturday with Cassian, that one? Yeah, you're, you're referring to that, eh? Well, look, all I'll just say with Petrie is there's time. You know, you can say, okay, if, if somebody wants to do it now, they can do it now. But because he's got term, you can also look at it and say, we can wait until the summer. And, you know, the one thing about now is... There's not a lot of cap space. And if you trade a Sherratt and you're retaining to make your deal better, you only have to do it for now. And if you're trading a Petrie and you have to retain, there's term on that. So I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, it could happen now. I never want to discount it, mm-hmm. you know, for my old takes exposed moment, ice cold take. But uh, I really do think that they can wait on that one to the summer if they have to. You know, Montreal had nobody on the ice there that was going to be able to handle Zach Cassian. Nobody. As Cassian clipped Montembeau, the helmet went flying. And now the players gesticulating, though relatively briefly. And we might have our first penalty of the night. Nobody even did a thing to Cassian. I mean, here's the, the first power play we're going to see in this game, but nobody even reacted after this. You watch it. The helmet off the goalie steamrolls him, and I know Cassian's a pretty tough customer, but that might be part of the problem in Montreal. You got to have a little emotion there, at least a little bit, to go over and say, "Hey, you can't do that." They are going to get the power play here, so obviously, would I like to see more? Yes. Do I think the Canadians players on the ice realize more could have happened? At least, yes. But that's not the game anymore. At least not until you know the playoffs start. You know, the other thing too, Jeff, is that I've wondered, do you think there's anything to the fact that both of those incidents happen in buildings where there's no fans? Like, what do you think happens in Ottawa or Montreal if there's fans in the building for either one of those games? They go berserk. Yeah. They go berserk. And there's an emotional expectation that you do something and do something right away. Like, Do you think I have anything on that or do you think that's a completely nuts theory? Oh, boy. Um... No, I don't, because if you want to do it, you do it. And I don't think that if there were fans screaming, they're like, first of all, Jeff Petrie's not the kind of player and he's not going to do anything, whether there's fans there or not. Like in the Ottawa situation, I just wondered about the remainder of the game because, you know, there's still significant time to do a lot of things. For this one, this is directed specifically at Zach Cassian. I'm not willing to make that leap that because there's no fans there, you suck the emotion out of a player playing that game. Fair enough. 
just because it happened in both cases. Yeah. So I wondered if the reaction of the crowd could have changed things. But, you know, like I said, the game has changed. I don't always like it. Maybe I'm a Neanderthal. I don't care. That's my opinion. But it's where we're going. The only reason I ask about Petrie as well, too, is I think we know all, we all know the conversations are coming with Ken Hughes and players with term on their contracts that may or may not want to be part of this rebuild mm-hmm. or whatever this thing is going to be called that the Montreal Canadiens are going to go through. Like, look, Jeff Petrie's 34 years old. Jeff Petrie's got three more years after this is $6.25 million. Does he want to be part of this in his career or does he want to chase a Stanley Cup? I think Montreal's going through all that right now all of that right now from montreal let's go to the other end of canada uh vancouver canucks and it seems and feels like the vancouver canucks are laying the foundation should we say or is the are the wheels already turning to start changing the look of this team and i would imagine the job number one would be and we listen we heard rutherford talk about it at the patrick alvin press conference We have to add more players to get to where we want to get to. And that's something that's going to have to be decided here leading up to the trading deadline. How do we go about that? And we got to figure out a way to get a little cushion on the cap. It's always difficult, but being up against the cap and a team that's not in the playoffs at this point in time is not a good thing. So some big decisions are coming up. But now that we've added more people to hockey ops, we're now in a position that a uh, stronger position to make those decisions. It seems as if job number one for the Vancouver Canucks to me, Elliot, correct me if you think I'm wrong, get rid of salary. I don't think that you're wrong. I definitely believe that job number one is to create some room. And I think he's going to try to do that. You know, I give Jim Rutherford credit. He said that he was going to take his time and formulate things and that's exactly what he's done he's taken his time and he's formulating things and now i think he's starting to act about a week ago uh, i got told start watching them and then last weekend i started to hear some of the stuff that they're talking about and jt miller's name has been front and center and i think for a lot of people he's the crown jewel of what vancouver might do but You know, I think there's some other pieces there. I think, you know, Garland is the interesting one to me because I definitely think his name is out there. You know, one of the reasons I linked New Jersey to it is that the thing that I heard appeals to the Devils is that Garland signed. He's locked in for a good number. The Devils have really talented, young, offensive players in, you know, Hughes, obviously, and Hisher. And you want to be able to say, okay, we can play you with someone and we know it's someone who's going to be here. When someone mentioned to me that they heard New Jersey was in it, I said that made perfect sense for me. And that's the kind of player they should be looking at to play with their people. Now, I know, Jeff, some people were writing and saying that it's New Jersey because, you know, Rachel Dory, who used to work for the Devils, is now part of the Canucks front office. I don't necessarily believe that. I think it it helps that she's got some institutional knowledge there, but I think it's more the devils looking at it and saying, this is a player who makes sense for us. And, you know, I think it does. I, I could see why there could be a marriage there. You know, it's interesting. Uh, on Saturday, you talked about the forwards with the Vancouver Canucks, and I wonder how much of that is watch the forwards because that's where Vancouver can make moves. Yes, 
Oliver Ekman Larson contract is one thing. The Tyler Myers contract is another. Like those are two ways you can make cap space and a lot of it really quickly. And they just can't, I'm guessing, make those moves at all. Well, it's not that you can't make those moves at all. It's just that Ekman Larson has control over the situation. That's number one. You know, he's got to say you have to deal with him to make him feel that he wants to go anywhere. And it was, you know, it was hard enough to get him to leave Arizona, really. It took him a long time. And he only said I was willing to go to two teams, and he picked one of them. So it's not an easy trade to make, even if you wanted to. You know, Myers takes a lot of grief out there. The one thing I I will say this about Myers is he cares about being a Canuck. Like, he competes hard. And now in this day and age, I think that would be a contract that would be hard to move. But I I like Myers. I really do. I, I think that if I was, I would at least look at it from a Canucks organizational point of view that he gives me everything he can give me whenever he plays. And I can deal with that. I like that. You know, I know he got ejected the other night, but Hmm. he plays hard. I I really do think that. And he plays with a mean streak. I think he really cares about doing well for that team. I I can deal with that. But I I think your overall theory is is right, Jeff, in the sense that, you know, I, I think they could move Miller easily. I think they can move Garland uh, you know, I, I think they could move a Tanner Pearson and, you know, the name that I know always comes up there is, is Besser. And one of the questions is his qualifying offer. I mean, we'll see what happens with all of this, but I do think that there's a lot of traction around their forwards. And I, I think that he's learning what the market is Rutherford. And I think he's going to have the ability to do some things here. I think Miller in particular is going to be uh, a coveted player. Would it be safe to say then? and this may be just obvious, but let's get it out there, that the Vancouver Canucks, unless your name is Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, or Thatcher Demko, they're listening. Or is that too far? I don't know if it's too far, but I didn't hear Horvat's name. Like, I asked around. Like, here's the thing to me about Horvat. If you really want to win in this league long term, you need players like that guy. I agree with that. I would be surprised. I've been surprised before. Bo Horvat, as crappy as Vancouver's start was, he was right on the Olympic bubble. Like, that tells you what people think about him out there. Mm. Now, Jim Rutherford may look at that and say, ooh, I can get a lot of that. But, you know, to me, at some point in time, you've got to try to win. And, you know, I'll tell you this. If I had a choice, Bo Horvat or no Bo Horvat, I'm, I'm taking Bo Horvat. But we'll see. It's interesting because we're talking about all of this and saying Jim Rutherford, Jim Rutherford, yet Patrick Alvine is now the general manager. Yeah, you know, I understand that. But Rutherford's going to be ultimately making the decisions and it's going to be his personality. I get that. I just wonder when that transition to this is Alvine's move, this is Alvine's move happens. I don't know. You know what what they'll do? They'll joke. The good moves are Rutherford and the bad ones are Alvin's. (laughs) Well, they do the same thing in Montreal as well with uh, with Hughes and Gordon. That's right. The good moves are Gordon's (laughs) and the bad moves are Hughes. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is... People will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. 
I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Anaheim Ducks and the general manager search. You talked about this on Saturday as well. And the name Pat for beat came up. I think someone told me that one's getting tight. We could be getting close. I wouldn't say like it's Monday or Tuesday, but I do think we're getting close here. The challenge for me is, is, is determining the difference between the uh, internal candidates who in alphabetical order are Martin Madden, Dave Nonis and Jeff Solomon and the external candidates. And I think that Pat Verbeek is very, very much in the picture here. And someone actually called me on Sunday before we taped the podcast and they said, you know how you mentioned Verbeek in Vancouver? And I said, yes, I wondered if he was part of the thing there. He goes, you just got the wrong team. It was Anaheim. And, you know, the one thing too here is that Anaheim, part of their search committee here are Scott Niedermeyer and Paul Correa, right? Yes. Both of those guys know Steve Eisenman really well, obviously, because they won gold medals with him, right? Mm-hmm. And like Steve Eisenman doesn't really promote anyone, but he's been promoting Pat Verbeek for years. And he feels that Pat Verbeek is ready and deserves an opportunity. You know, the thing about Verbeek is he worked with Eisman in Tampa. He worked with Eisman in Detroit. You know, he was a really good player. And the other thing, too, is he's another guy who's put in the work. He's one of those guys. He turns up in all the dirty, dark rinks looking at players. And he's done everything you have to do to climb your way up. And he's very quiet. He doesn't say much. He's right out of the Iserman mold that way. And Iserman has been saying for a while now that, look, he learned with us in Tampa. He learned with us in Detroit. He knows what to do. He deserves his chance. And I will say this. I've had other people outside of this Iserman, Korea, Niedermeyer realm who have said to me for a couple years now that they really think that Verbeek has earned his opportunity. And I wonder if it, it could be here. One of the things that we're interested in here as well is uh, when the general manager gets named, what the um, the first couple of orders of business are for them, because there's some business to do in Anaheim. There's uh, impending unrestricted free agents uh, in Ricard Raquel. Uh, we talked to Ryan Getzlaf uh, on the podcast last week as well. He's a UFA. Uh, we know all about Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson and players like Nicholas Delorier. I think you put in that conversation, Sam Carrick, et cetera. Yep. You know, someone said to me over the weekend, you know, one of the reasons why it's important that Anaheim gets business done sooner than later and names a general manager sooner than later is John Gibson. They feel that 
John Gibson needs to be shown that this team is interested in remaining competitive and not just let players, you know, get traded at deadline or walk at free agency and not improve the team. What do you think of that? I think it's important, but I don't think it's your biggest deal, right? I think what's important is that you have guidance about what to do with some guys at the deadline. To me, the biggest question is Lindholm. Same. I'm with you on Lindholm, and I think the job number one needs to be re-signing him. Don't you? I just think that if you let him go, then you are constantly going to be looking for someone like him for years. Agreed. What I heard was, and I don't know where it stands right now, but one of the rumors I'd heard was that they were willing to give him a little bit more if he was willing to take a little less term. Like, I just heard they didn't want to go into the big term. And that was the issue. Now, I just don't know where that stands right now, you know, because obviously Bob Murray's no longer the GM there. And, you know, we're going to have a new philosophy, whether it's, you know, one of the internal candidates or Verbeek. But I don't know. I've heard Raquel's name out there a little bit. I think he's on the market. And I think everybody there is kind of wondering, you know, is it just time for everybody here to take a new route. I don't know if that's where it ends up, but I know that's kind of been asked. With Manson, you know, they have a lot of interest in Manson. You know, I mentioned Toronto. I think there's a lot of teams out there who are, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Manson wants to stay in California, if this becomes a, how do you feel about going somewhere for a short time? We can get some assets and then you come back. Now, that could be wrong. They could end up signing him, but I wouldn't be hugely surprised. Like I think the priority is Lindholm, but then again, if Lindholm leaves, do they keep Manson? Like I don't think you can hold, even if you're in the playoffs there, I don't think you can hold on to Lindholm at the deadline if you don't think you can sign him, but that's just me. You see, I look, I look at those big three, and I say, you lose Ricard Raquel, okay, you have younger players that can fill that spot, take that role. Mm -hmm. You lose Josh Manson, okay, to that previous point, I think you can live with losing Josh Manson. Again, I come back to Lindholm. You can't replace that. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Like That's the one that I think you really can't afford to lose. I would agree with that. I understand the conversation about term with someone who's 28 years old i know everyone gets weird about giving term to players that are either in their 30s or approaching their 30s quickly but i don't know man hampus lindholm was a special defenseman hampus lindholm's a special player and there's not many players like him in the nhl and you know someone mentioned something to me uh, a while ago that i thought was pretty interesting as well which is how important someone like nick delorier is for these younger players especially someone like Trevor Zegras. Hugely popular teammate too. I can believe that. Yeah. You talked about, you know, old school mentality in in NHL. Like Trevor Zegras is a guy that does flashy moves and that's not always going to rub people the right way. That's not going to always rub the other team the right way. And I just wonder about having someone like Zegras in the lineup. Do you need, I don't know, do you need someone... (laughs) Do you need someone who might uh, deter someone from taking out their frustrations after someone does the Michigan on them for the second time in a season or the second time in a game? I think Delorier is important there too. I know they really like him. 
You mentioned Josh Manson with Toronto. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? There's significant interest. There's what type of interest in Toronto with Josh Manson? I think he's a player they're really taking a deep look at. You know, he's a right shot. You know, the difference with a guy like Sherrod is, you know, Sherrod, you might have to move people around because he's a lefty, depending on, you know, what you decide to do. Manson's a righty. It's a bit of a more seamless fit in Toronto. The thing about Manson, though, is it's the Canadian question, right? First of all, he's got a modified no trade list. Can he even go there? And number two is that, you know, we've talked about this. Some teams and their players, like, they've made it very clear that they don't want to go to Canada right now. So that would be my other question here. Would there be any reason that, you know, Manson wouldn't want to go? And, you know, he wouldn't be the only one. Um, so I reported on Saturday, speaking of the Maple Leafs, that they are not actively shopping Peter Morazic. And even though there have been some whispers uh, around about um, his availability or not, teams have called and essentially have you know read the situation and said, okay, Jack Campbell's having a Vesna trophy type season. We know you're going to have to pay him. Could there be a squeeze here for the Maple Leafs? If you're interested in doing something with the goaltender, please give us a call. Please call us at 1-800-DUBIS. <laughs> so that's the situation with Peter Mrazek. Had you heard much around the uh, the netminder in Toronto? A little bit. But you know what? When, when I heard you say that, you know what that says to me, Jeff, is that Toronto's doing their summer groundwork. Yeah, that's another thing, too. The goalie decisions are coming in the summer. Because if they can't keep Campbell, then, you know, Mrazek's, unless they move him, too, he's their guy. But if they do keep Campbell, you're going to want to know where you could potentially move Morazic if he wants to go, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you want him to go. Uh, the other thing that I mentioned about goaltenders is uh, that note about Mac Guzda, who's an overage goaltender with the Barry Colts. A number of teams are looking at him right now, including the Maple Leafs, who met with him last week, mm-hmm. uh, having a wonderful season in the OHL. I think the Leafs are looking at a couple of other OA goaltenders. I think they look at their goaltending depth and they see you know injuries whether it's you know to joe wall and me and scott etc and they say yep. we need to shore up this position asap uh so i don't think that uh gusta is the only one they're looking at and there are other teams and the one interesting team there is the nashville predators now mac gusta is from knoxville tennessee and after i reported that i got a call from one team who said uh I think it was a couple of years ago that Chris Mason, former Nashville Predators goaltender, now Nashville Predators um, broadcaster, yeah, has had you know had really been pushing for Matt Guzda and speaking well of him to to any team that would listen. I wonder if he you know if he doesn't end up in Toronto, if Nashville ends up because I know the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Rangers are also considered front runners, but I wonder about Nashville. But the Maple Leafs are mm. very much into him as well. Florida Panthers, Elliot, I reported about Owen Tippett. That name is very much out there. It seems in every trade, that is the one consistent. He was on the first line the other night, and people were looking at that and and going, (laughs) interesting. We've seen him play now with Barkov. We've seen him play with Huberto. Uh, Your eyebrows go up when you see that, Elliot? Well, I just think that, you know, you know that there's opportunities, right? And they're trying to do something. I do think if there's a deal with Arizona, Tippett's going to be a part of it. I do. Right. And I think if there's like, for example, say they go Klingberg for argument's sake, I wouldn't be surprised if Tippett's, you know, a part of that too. Sometimes, you know, like, like I was, was, we were talking about earlier with Raquel, you know, sometimes it runs its course and that doesn't mean anybody's wrong or anyone's at fault, 
But sometimes a situation just runs its course. And, you know, I think that you look at what Florida's got going up and down their lineup, that's probably the case here. Hey, listen, I'll go back to our earliest conversation here on the podcast. Jeff Petrie. Yep. He's not the same defenseman this year as the one that we've seen before. Mm-mm. Not even close. Like every time I watch Montreal Canadiens, like, I'm like, that is not Jeff Petrie. I think we all say that when we watch the Montreal Canadiens. A couple of things I want to remark upon before we get to some emails here. Um, want to talk about Doughty's thousandth. Want to talk about Zuboff and his number retired. But I want to start by talking about Henrik Lundqvist. Yep. And number 30 goes to the Rafters, joining netminders Eddie Jockerman and Mike Richter, two of the most popular goaltenders uh, to ever put on the, uh, the Rangers jersey. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist joins them. The Rafters at MSG. Your thoughts on Hank? I missed you guys. I missed you. I really have. I'm so happy to get this moment with my family and my friends. We're up here somewhere. But most of all, I'm so happy I get an opportunity to say thank you. It's been an amazing experience and it's given me so much joy. And it's definitely played a huge part in making my journey so special. So thank you to everyone in here and around the city. Friday night to sit and watch those two ceremonies. It's great. I love retirement ceremonies. I love them. They're some of my favorite things to watch when a player gets a jersey retired or a team has a ceremony like that. I love them. The emotion's great. And the relationship between that player and the fans is generally fantastic. There's so much about that kind of thing I really enjoy. And both of them, I thought, were spectacular. The thing about Lundquist is... Ever since he's retired, he's decided that he's going to become a presence on social media. I think he's so good at it. Of course. And that whole week of behind-the-scenes stuff and... Elliot, hold on. He's good at everything. It gets embarrassing for the rest of us. I know. We're all losers compared to him. We're we're total losers. Like, I'm watching all of his behind-the-scenes stuff and all the stuff he's throwing out there on social, and I'm like, oh, okay, he's good at this, too. Well, that's just disgusting. But... (laughs) You know, I just thought it was a really uh, nice ceremony. I tweeted out the pictures of the all the 30 jerseys in the Rangers room and all the 56 jerseys in the Stars room. Yeah. Like everything about jersey retirements, I love. It's everything that's supposed to be good about a sport. It's the love affair between a player and the fan base. Like that one in New York, that was perfect to me. The way he came out of there and the the eruption of the audience. And you know, one of my favorite pieces I ever did was with Lundquist on Hockey Night in Canada when it was still at CBC and we walked through New York together. We, we did the walk from basically from Madison Square Garden into his apartment or condo, I guess. I guess it wasn't an apartment. But, you know, the, the one person walking by and saying, go Rangers, and he's laughing, and he goes, there's one of those fans who notices me now. And there was one time, and I think it was when they beat Washington in 2012, I want to say what it was. If I, if I got this wrong, but I interviewed him on the ice after they knocked them out while it was Bedlam in Madison Square Garden. And I remember... Basically, during the interview, I I said to him, like, look at this. Look at this. Like, you're on stage here at Madison Square Garden, 
like the world's most famous arena and they're all standing for you while you do this interview and i got caught up in the moment there's so many things about that one i just loved and the zubov one it's so different because you couldn't get two completely different people Mm -hmm. like lundquist is not he's not boisterous he's not over the top but he's very very comfortable in the spotlight obviously and zubov always hated it he refused to be interviewed You know, I remember Pierre Lebrun wrote a a big piece about him. I think Pierre was still working at ESPN at the time. Pierre wrote a big piece on him a couple years ago, and they had to work it for, like, months to get Zubov to agree to do it. And he finally talked because the stars just said, we need to get you some publicity here. You know, I, I loved his line about the goalies covering up my mistakes. That guy didn't make too many mistakes. Nope. You know, he was just a great great player and i always thought one of the most overlooked players to go to the hall of fame for a long time like i I, like i have my list of people who i think should be in the hall of fame that aren't there and zuboff was at the top of my list and now my list right near the top of it are guys like uh, rod brindamore and um and daniel alfredson but zuboff for a long time was that guy for me and i was just happy to see him get it best russian defenseman ever no, I think that's Fetisov. And um, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who might be a bit younger. And, and the real shame was we never saw Fetisov really at his prime enough. We'd see him at the Olympics. We'd see him in a Canada Cup here and there. You know, Gretzky has always talked about how the winning goal in 87, for whatever reason, Fetisov wasn't on the ice. And does that goal happen if Fetisov is out there? like a North American coach would have put him out there. Mm-hmm. So I think it's tough to say anybody but Fatisov number one, but the next level. Okay, number two then. Yeah, I mentioned him on your show, but I, I forget the, his name, who mentioned Konstantinov, and just unfortunately, sadly, his career cut short yeah. in the car accident. But to me, Zubov would be number two. I would put him ahead of Gonchar, who I hope does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> Very good. And the one thing about Henrik Lundqvist is his legacy does live on in the NHL with the Lundqvist loop. Are you familiar with this piece of technology the goalies now have? So it's a little loop at the back of the goalie skate that he came up with that attaches, like the goalie pads attach essentially to the back of the skate, which allows, and this is pure subtle genius by Henrik Lundqvist, which allows the pads to ride high. Hmm. So when you go down in the butterfly, it covers up your five hole more. So your pads are still the exact same size, but they just ride higher because of this loop at the back of the skates. So well, he's retired, his number's up at the rafters, but you look at goalies in the NHL and you can still see the Henrik Lundqvist effect alive in the National Hockey League. That's outstanding. Drew Doughty, game number 1,000 has come and gone. Your thoughts on uh, one of our favorite defensemen? Well, gave us a great interview at the beginning of the year. Sure did. That's number one. You know, he's still very much at the top of his game. You know, he talked a big game this offseason about being insulted and now wanting to show that he's still an Olympic-level defenseman, and he delivered. Mm-hmm. He, he delivered. And I have to say, the Kings have a lot more staying power this year than I thought they were going to, and he was injured for a little bit of time, but he's been phenomenal. I don't know how long Drew Doughty's going to play, but the one thing I I think we've all learned about him is that that chip 
doesn't go away too easily. Yeah. Like he's got two Stanley Cups. He's got two Olympic gold medals. And he doesn't strike me as being overly satisfied with himself. No, he still wants it one more time. He still wants one more crack at it. He wanted one more crack at the gold medal and he wants one more crack at the Stanley Cup. You know what I'm interested in? Remember when he talked to us about wanting to own a junior hockey team? My like number one thing I want to do is like, honestly, is like own a junior team or like work for a junior team or something like that. But at the same time, I definitely want to, I'll continue to, to give back to like the youth hockey and the organization I grew up playing for. I'll continue to always have that tournament and help in that aspect. I don't know if I necessarily want to get into coaching young kids. I mean, maybe if one of my kids played hockey, I would mm-hmm. maybe do it. But my dream would definitely probably be to like own the London Knights or like Guelph Storm or something like that. That'd be my dream. There's a few guys that have, have talked about wanting to own junior teams. I would just really be curious to see what type of owner Drew Doughty would be. First of all, he'll have the money to do it. We all know that. I love seeing players, whether it's, you know, you reported on, you know, John Tavares and Sam Gagne with the Marlboros and the GTHL. Yep. You know, there's always all kinds of rumors about, you know, different players wanting to get involved in junior hockey in an ownership capacity. I just wonder what kind of owner he'd be. I think it'd be, it's always great when you have players that went on to have success, specifically financial success in the NHL, stay in the game and do it at the junior level. Plenty have done it. Some in a quiet capacity, uh, some in a not so quiet capacity, some very successful. And we think of the Hunters in London specifically. Yep. Uh, and some, you know, hasn't worked out. I always wonder about Doughty. What type of owner Drew Doughty would be? Be an interesting one. You know, he's a London guy, but he played for the Guelph Storm. Always wondered about that. Someday you'll get your answer. I hope he's an owner. And we can all beg him for jobs. <laughs> On that, we'll take a break. Come back with some of your emails after this. Before we get back to our regular programming, we need to talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco about really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi spiced beef, Kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options. Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.
All right, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, your emails at 32thoughts.sportsnet.ca and your phone calls at 1-833-311-3232. Let's start there. Anthony in Muskegon. Hi, Jeff and Free. This is Anthony Bartoli calling from Muskegon, Michigan. Um, I just have a question about our hometown guy, Justin Advocator, who recently signed with the Grand Rapids Griffins on a PTO. And I was coming to think that if he's still eligible to play, if he would ever get called up from the Griffins to the NHL, considering he's still on his buyout history, that'll still carry with the Wings until 2025, 2026 season if he's able to still be called up, if he were to have a good job in Grand Rapids while playing underneath there. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Bye-bye. Well, first of all, Anthony, thank you very much for recognizing we do great work. That's <laughs> that's very important. <laughs> Pat yourself on the back there, Barry Horowitz. Very nice. I said we, I said we, but oh, I was okay. more referring to me and Amal. Oh, you know, goodness. the answer to your question is yes, they could. Now, we should mention that Ablocator is now uh, going to the Olympics with Team USA, but the answer is yes. Now, the, where people got confused, and I admit I did too, was if you did a compliance buyout on someone, you couldn't re-sign them for a year. So basically, out of the lockout, if you did a compliance buyout, you couldn't resign with your team for another year or the team that bought you out for another year. However, there was a situation a couple of years ago where Michael Stone was bought out by the Calgary Flames and then they signed him. And I was like, what? And they said it was a regular buyout. It was not a compliance buyout. So they were allowed to resign him. So the answer is yes. Since Abdulkader was a regular buyout and not a compliance buyout, they could technically resign him. Just for the purposes of people that may not be familiar with what the term compliance buyout means, and I know we make a lot of assumptions on this program as to who knows what. Oh, yeah, good Compliance point. buyout just means it's a buyout. I mean, these come after a lockout when the NHL wants to reset its salary cap. Compliance buyouts are buyouts that don't count against your salary cap. Regular buyouts do. And when the NHL and Players Association, during their first COVID break, there was some discussion of compliance buyouts in order to give teams some cap relief, but the thought very much was, no, we're keeping all the money in the system. Yeah, the owners were like, no extra money that we have to pay. That's right. No money is going out. Just so everyone understands what compliance buyout is versus a regular buyout. Johan from Southern Sweden. Wouldn't Dallas be all in on Chikrin? If they trade Klingberg, they would get assets to include in a trade with Arizona, basically swapping Klingberg plus something to get a very cap-friendly elite D. Wouldn't Dallas be involved with Chikrin, Elliot? I haven't heard it. Doesn't mean it's not true, but I have not heard the stars specifically. I don't know that the stars are right now in acquisition mode. And specifically on the blue line, when we've talked about this before, the one thing that Jim Nill did very specifically in the offseason was go out and get two defensemen. One of them, Ryan Suter, uh, and the other was Yanni Hockenpah. And that was to help shore up the defense in case something happened with John Klingberg and they had to either move him or move from him at the end of the season if they couldn't come to a new contract. So I think that's probably the reason you haven't heard Jacob Chikrin mentioned uh, with the Dallas Stars. They've made their defense moves. From Ken and BC, what are the chances that with the success of the Rangers so far this year, Chris Drury is willing to move a Capo Caco 
or Alexi Lafreniere for a JT Miller type player? Oof. Hmm. That's big. How quickly do we want to get a phone call from New York? <laughs> uh, if I say quickly, we make this podcast juicier. You know, I think I don't know that they want to do that yet. Uh, I, I really don't. Look, I think the Rangers are going to do something or at least try to do something big. And if you try to do something big, then you have to give up quality to get quality. But I don't know how eager they are to trade either one of those two guys. Mm -hmm. So before you introduce our musical guest. Yes. I have a question for you. I saw a lot of this on my timeline this week. I got a couple DMs about it. Okay. Is the Michigan now boring? <laughs> and, and you know what? I, I wanted to say that I was a little bit surprised by this. Okay. I guess it shows how quickly our attention spans change. I think the players who've pulled it off deserve credit for being so good at it now and so able to do it that people are actually asking this question. Mm -hmm. But I'm amazed that we are getting it now. Is the Michigan boring? So Jeff Merrick, yeah. hockey nerd, yeah. what say you? Okay, so I mentioned this on my radio show. I can't remember whether it was Thursday or Friday. And mainly got grief about it. But for me, I am, the Michigan itself is now boring. But I'll tell you what's not boring. And we saw this on Saturday with Jonathan Hubert over the Florida Panthers. Now I like the fake Michigan. front shot, they score! Sam Bennett overtime! And the Panthers come back to win it! 5 for the final score! Sam Bennett, the overtime winner! Smoke him if he got him tonight! In behind the net, the Panthers get the change. Hubert in behind the net, in the office. And then Sam Bennett just weaves his way through three San Jose Sharks. Now I like the fake Michigan that draws defensemen out of play and then allows an easy pass to the slot. Now I like the Michigan being used as a tactic, and I'll tell you why. Because when someone goes down to scoop the puck, both goaltenders and defensemen freak out because they don't want to be on highlight films. And Huberto just waited and waited. He was actually looking like he was going to try that Michigan play. Mm -hmm. he, he did for a second. Yeah, yep. where he was going to toe drag it. Yeah. And then he recognized Bennett was going to come down the middle of the slot, realized, well, I'll just put it on my backhand and put it on a platter for Sam Bennett as he dunks it home in the Panthers' win. And David Savard knows he's going to be on a highlight film every time you see Trevor Zegers throwing a pass Samuel Montembeau, right? And he's like, oh, and you can tell, like, uh, Savard's trying to get there to the far side, and he just can't make it. And I'm sure in the back of his head, Savard is saying, Oh, no, I'm going to be on this highlight forever. Ugh. I like the fake Michigan because people lose their minds, the goaltenders and the defensemen. But the actual move itself, I don't know. I can't get excited about it anymore, Elliot. Can you? Well, here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not a very skilled move. Like being able to do that and having the guts to do that in full stride during an NHL game. And I can't underscore the hugeness of the, like, this is like the best league in the world and you're able to do that in a split second like that is guts and that is skill and i don't want to take anything away from that but i just think we've seen it too much at every single level of hockey that i can't pretend to go oh wow about it anymore unless there's a twist to it the one initial where mike leg did it 
where he was standing and did it. Yeah. To me, that's different than Zegers doing it at speed the other day. Montembeau, and they score! What a play there, huh? Oh, a big goal there for Trevor Zegers, who went from one side of the net behind it to the other side and beat the newly named goaltender for period two, Sam Montembeau. And Zegers has just given the Ducks the goal. They just released. Boy, that is amazing, Steve. Trevor <laughs> Zegers there pulls off the Michigan. He's been trying to do it, and he finally does it right here. Picked up that puck on the blade of his stick behind the Montreal net, skating right to left, and put it up top before Montembeau could slide over. So Trevor Zegers now with a... Or Svechnikov when he did it. Yes. Like, if you can do it at speed, I don't care how many times it's been done before. To be able to do that in this game with how fast it is, I think that's amazing. I'm not saying it's not amazing. It is a supremely skilled move. And I know I'm sounding like the ultimate hockey hipster saying, hmm, uh, you know, how many uh, how many people does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, it's a rare number. You've probably never heard of it. I know I'm turning into the hipster on this one, but I don't know. I can't get excited about the Michigan anymore, Elliot. You have the attention span of an ordinary housefly. <laughs> no, that's you. Yeah, but at least I'm still impressed by it because I recognize the greatness of being able to do it. I recognize the greatness of it, just like I recognize the greatness of You being... are a victim of social media. <laughs> no, I've just seen it too often. You need the dopamine of something different or else you can't handle it anymore. That might be it. Cats and laser pointers. Welcome to the life of Jeff Merrick. That's what I need to be constantly stimulated. Stimulation junkie. You shouldn't be like driving a car anymore because if you don't have dopamine, you're, you're half asleep and can't control control it uh, you're probably right it's so embarrassing anyway who's our musical guest this week jeff well i'm glad you asked because elliot taking us out is a french artist who might be better known from his work with his collective but his solo project really stands out as well mike clay has spent the last few years putting out great music with clay and friends but has never shied away from going off on his own with his latest single here's mike clay with Cote à Cote on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. J'étais parti sur la West Coast Tous mes friends étaient en caisse Pays, pas de coupe, il a comme Jay Scott J'étais dans le fond d'écran de Windows T'es son, son, son
You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.